This is the Bad Hops Podcast, a baseball podcast where we discuss everything but the box score. So if you're looking for Oscar Gamble's total plate appearances or Max Camera Eye Bishop's lifetime fielding percentage, this is not the place. But if you think Rumble in the Bronx ain't just a Yankees Red Sox series, welcome. We're your hosts. I'm Jackie Micucci. And I'm Mark Butler. And today, the silver screen meets the golden glove. Welcome to Bad Hops. Jackie, you're a superstar. I nominate you for Best Supporting Podcast Performance in a Golden Globe thing i don't know i ran out of uh, ran out of accolades all right (laughs) we are talking about hollywood happy writer's strike at the time of recording hey your writers your writers are very important without them you've got nothing yeah otherwise you have you have two freestyling (laughs) podcast hosts who are just sort of like making stuff up as they go along i wish we had a writer's room we would pair writers absolutely We are talking Hollywood. The idea for this episode came to me in a dream, and this will give you some insight as to how boring my dreams are. Essentially, the concept is what if MLB IMDB, MLB players who have IMDB listings because they are also actors. We're talking about a double threat, though, not a triple threat, because, right, they're actors and ball players. Yes. And they sing. Uh, some some do sing in that some we're gonna we're sing. gonna tease that one out until the very end because we're gonna we have a special treat at the end of the episode. Mm, okay. I guess the closest anyone in this category comes to an egot, you're gonna be talking about in a little bit because you oh, have yeah. you have the only person that's ever won a World Series and has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And I'm gonna guess that most people listening have no idea that this person did either. It starts as always, or at least like as it does for me, with Johnny Bench. I feel like Johnny Bench comes up a lot. Considering neither of us are uh, Reds fans, Johnny Bench does come up quite a bit. But I think he played a re- like he was a big presence. I think when we were growing up, what, watching baseball, so it makes sense. Kind of was the face of baseball. I, I think that's what we see the the attempt to make Mike Trout that person today. But Johnny Bench, I think, just had that much more charisma. Mike Trout arguably has way more talent than Johnny Bench, but Johnny Bench was pretty damn good. Yeah. Johnny Bench, and you know that this is a callback, was one of the great catchers of all time. Part of Cincinnati's big red machine in the 1970s, owner of Johnny Bench's home plate restaurant, as heard on Bad Hop's <laughs> restaurant episode. That's right. Another callback. But he was apparently a pioneer, too. Johnny didn't follow the tired trope of a famous sports personality playing himself on a TV show or in a movie. Johnny Bench acted, sort of. I stumbled across this originally just as a way to trip you up when we were talking about Johnny Bench's delicious restaurant with the big catcher's mitt seats. Johnny Bench appeared on The Partridge Family. Now, when I first read that, I just assumed Johnny Bench was going to be Johnny Bench. But he was not in the... Archer's Family episode titled, I Left My Heart in Cincinnati, Johnny Bench played the pool waiter. And I found... <laughs> Not the pool boy, but the pool waiter. Big difference. That's right. I think he actually had like a dinner jacket on uh, wow. as he was serving drinks at the 
the hotel swimming pool where the Partridge family was staying. Mm-hmm. I I found a clip of this. We're gonna we'll post it on social media. It's pretty hilarious because it's as bad as you would imagine a Partridge Family episode and an athlete that's an uh, attempting to act might be. Keith Partridge, the heartthrob, as played by David Cassidy, is at the pool with his mom and with his manager Reuben Kincaid, and then a person who I don't really know who who she is. She might I think she's the love interest in that episode. You know, they you only Just get like. That. Only get 22 minutes of a love interest in a lot of these things. I mean, I think 22 is probably a lot. Yeah. Probably, probably, probably clocks out at about 10 minutes at most. <laughs> I think that seems about right. So all of the adults at the pool order a vodka on the rocks, and then David Cassidy orders the same. They're all ordering from Johnny Bench, the pool waiter. And then Johnny Bench kind of gives Keith Partridge the side eye, and then he has to walk it back and says, you know what, I'll just take rocks. <laughs> And then Johnny Bench nods and leaves. I think he has one line in the scene. But the important thing is he didn't play Johnny Bench. And he averted teen alcoholism. Which is very important. Underage drinking. Was baseball any part of this plot, the plot at all? Or was it just that they were in Cincinnati? Like, what was the tie-in? They were at the amusement park in Cincinnati. The the Partridge family was playing a gig there. I think it was King's Dominion. Is that? uh... Sounds familiar. No actual baseball. So, yeah, it'd be awkward for Johnny Bench to play himself otherwise. Now, I want to get into the depth of his acting. So that was in a comedy. Mm -hmm. In 1971, same year, he also appeared in an episode of Mission Impossible entitled The, The Catafalque. So according to IMDb, in one of the IMF's most audacious plans yet, the team blatantly frames their victim and attempts to snatch the body of a deceased leader literally from under the noses of the honor guards. I'll give you one guess who played the captain of the guards in that episode. Was it Johnny Bench? Very good. You give me quizzes and I'm like zero out of ten on them. I I give you a quiz and you're you're always like 100%. Again, kind of plays like a stone-faced person who nods a lot. But good for him. He's got range. He can do dramas. He can do comedies. So these both occurred, both these appearances were in 1971? Yeah. Okay, I was was curious if there would be like a reason why he was making so many appearances. And it it looks like in 1970, he was the 1970 uh, MVP. So maybe that's why. He's popping up everywhere. That certainly makes a lot of sense. And I think he must have gotten a manager or an agent that decided that he was going to monetize the Johnny Bench experience because this dude was everywhere. We got drama. We got comedy. And later in the episode, I'm going to tell you about the secret talent of Johnny Bench that freaked me out. I had no idea that this thing existed, but enough of that. Wow. So it's like you've got to stay tuned You've, like, teased it. We, I want to know what the secret talent is. Heaven forbid that you should do the little toggle thing where you just skip ahead to the very end because we got a lot of great stuff in between. That's right. When we come back, Jackie and I are both going to talk about a big deal TV personality that also happened to be a baseball player. So we are back, and now we're going to get into it. We're going to talk about some... Baseball players turned actors. 
Mark, you hinted about who I'm going to get into, the only person, only person to have won a World Series and have his star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And that is none other than John Berardino. Johnny B. Johnny B. He was actually born Giovanni Berardino. So there was an extra R in there. And he's apparently there are various, there are various iterations of his name, all pretty much similar to either John, Johnny, Berardino, Berardino, Dino, but we're just going to refer to him as John Berardino. Nice. As much as I just like to call him Giovanni. John Berardino, born Giovanni. He was born in 1917, and he was born in Los Angeles. So that kind of makes sense as to how his career kind of plays out. And he grew up in, in Hollywood, so he spent he spent a lot of time. I mean, this was the early days of Hollywood, but still. So he was kind of entrenched in in the world of uh, of acting, just having it around him. It was said that he was part of the Art Gang comedies, and that if you do a little research, it comes up like, oh, they, they, it's credited that he was, you know, he was one of the kids in Art Gang comedy, but no one can verify that, so we don't know. He might have been some random kid in the background in one of the many Art Gang comedy little episodes that they had, but not verified. John Berardino grew up in Hollywood, and he attended USC, where he also played football. So he was, you know, two-sport guy, Letterman, belonged to a fraternity. He made his major league debut in 1939 for the St. Louis Browns, and his baseball career lasted until 1952. Now, he was an infielder, mostly played shortstop and second base, uh, played other infield positions. So he's a little bit of a utility guy, career 249 hitter. So, you know, played for the Browns. He played for the then Cleveland Indians and the Pittsburgh Pirates, and he jumped back and forth among the three teams. Of course, the period of time when he was playing baseball during World War II. So he served in the military in the U.S. Naval Reserve from 1942 to 1945. So that kind of broke up his baseball career. But even before he ended his baseball career, he appeared in a 1948 film called the winner circle where he played a horse trainer and he has a lot of he has a lot of these kind of roles and i'll get into that a little bit more as i get into his his acting career but yeah he has a really interesting career that way so anyway he eventually has to retire from baseball because he had the leg injury so then he decides he is going all in on acting and some of the roles that he played he seems to be typecast as um, he seems to play a detective a lot, seems to be in a lot of Westerns. And the other thing that may give you a clue, plays a doctor quite a bit. Mm. I say that because his most famous role, and I'll get into all his bit parts, was as Dr. Steve Hardy on the soap opera General Hospital, a soap opera that people in my family absolutely still watch to this day. Uh, good stories. The, good the, stories. The, the, one of the best stories. And he played that role from 1963, which is when General Hospital first started, until his death in 1996. So he played that role for a lot of years. He was entrenched in that soap opera. And he didn't win one, but he was nominated for three Daytime Emmy Awards for Best Actor in a Daytime Drama. So he could have added that. That could have been in there, too. He could have been an Emmy winner or Hollywood Walk of Fame a uh, guy as well as a World Series winner, but nah, didn't, never, never, never always a bridesmaid, never a bride when it came to the Emmys. Hey, you know what? He has more at bats than Susan Lucci does. So 
That is very true. So as I said, after his baseball career, he went full in on acting. His TV appearances, they're like, they're like if you were going to talk about 1950s TV, they're all the shows that you would pull out of the hat. He had bit parts in Maverick, The Untouchables, 77 Sunset Strip, Zane Grey, Sea Hunt, The Naked and the Dead, The New Adventures of Charlie Chan, The Thin Man, Annie Oakley, The Lone Ranger, Cisco Kid, Adventures of Wild Bill Hickok, and The Adventures of Ellery Queen. I had to, and there, there's more, but I was just like, oh my God, this is like a treasure trove of 50s TV. So he was playing cowboys, he was playing police officers, you know, he was playing, occasionally he would play a ball player that he definitely had a couple of those where he, um, he I think he played a St. Louis Cardinal in one of his, <laughs> in one of his bit parts. Um, but he also had a lot of uncredited roles and in some really like name brand movies. He had a cameo in the classic 1954 sci-fi thriller, Them. Um, he also appeared in North by Northwest. Wow, okay. <laughs> yeah. He played a policeman who allows Cary Grant's character, Roger Thornhill, to make a phone call to his mother. So he was in North by Northwest. And he was also a state trooper in the 1954 thriller, Suddenly, starring Frank Sinatra. So he kind of like showed up and he was also another uh, movie. He had a he had bit parts in East of Eden and Marty. So like, wow. Yeah. Right. Big time movies. Johnny B's the franchise. He, he is, is the- uh, obviously the General Hospital franchise, but. Based on that quick survey, I think he was in every TV show in the 1950s. It certainly feels that way. And he was also in more than a dozen B-movies, as well as supporting roles as FBI agent Steve Daniels in the espionage series I Led Three Lives, and as an LAPD sergeant Vince Cavelli in The New Breed. So constantly getting these like detective, cowboy, police officer, And then he's cast as Dr. Steve Harvey on the soap opera General Hospital. He played the same character on an episode of The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Oh. Yeah. A little, like, Richard Belzer uh, crossover appeal here. I know, right? He just, like, he just kept playing himself. He also appeared in the movie uh, Young Doctors in Love. (laughs) Do you remember that movie? (laughs) I I do, unfortunately. Yes, I do. If you get a chance, go on his IMDb page because it is it is so much fun to look at these characters. But before I kick it over to you, Mark, I'm going to say my personal favorite role that I found that old Johnny Berardino played was Husky Man Who Grabs Loose Tie on a 1954 episode of the Abbott and Costello show. So he was the Husky Man grabbing a tie. Wow. Is that who played left field? If who was on first <laughs> and what's on second? I mean, it is just amazing. He was on the adventures of Superman. I mean, he was just the shows that this man had roles in. And they were always like one episode, a couple episodes, or he'd play different roles in different series. But he managed to have like have a career in acting. And then I guess he probably struck goal when he got this role on General Hospital. So pretty, pretty wild. He got a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame in 1993. Yeah. Pretty wild career. I, I want to see someone else do this. I want to see someone else. Like, do you think Derek Cheater is ever going <laughs> to get a oh, star mean, on the Hollywood Walk of Fame? You mean the guy from uh, Seinfeld? Uh, it's possible. It is possible. Which guy from Seinfeld? Because, as you know, a lot of ballplayers did appear. New York ballplayers well, appeared yes, on well, Seinfeld. Well, I mean, 
<laughs> Derek Jeter played Derek Jeter on Seinfeld. <laughs> that is true. That is yeah, true. Yeah, and that's thank you for that reminder, Jackie. Later in the episode, but before the special surprise, Jackie and I are going to open up our casting office, and I think we are going to try to get some baseball players a second life. Yep. All these guys are going to be retired by the time they're 40, unless you're Nelson Cruz, bless his heart, who's like now 506, but we still, still love that. Still hitting the ball. Still, Still love that boomstick, man. That's right. <laughs> so yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get some new jobs for some some old warhorses later in the episode. Well, I get to talk about one of my favorite ball players slash actors, and I think he's got to be one of yours because yeah. if you find somebody that doesn't like this guy, there's something wrong with them. Agreed. I am talking about Bob Euchre, Mr. Baseball. Bob Euchre is an amazing story. By his own admission, a so-so ball player. That, that's actually part of his shtick, is that he, he was bad. But to me, what Bob Euchre has done is he's manifested the true American dream. He has made a decades-long career out of being Bob Euchre. If you take Hollywood out of it, Bob is quintessential Milwaukee. He was born there. He signed with the Milwaukee Braves in 1956, and he debuted with the team in 1962. Six years to get up through the minors, and then six years in the majors total, split between Milwaukee and then St. Louis, where he was also, like John Berardino, a world champion. He was on the 1964 Cardinals. No thanks to Bob's own abilities, (laughs) or at least not too much. (laughs) You know, sometimes you just need to be at the right place at the right time, which is also acting too. Very much so. You just got to hit your marks. He also played for the Phillies and then finished up with the Braves. But by the time he got back to the Braves in 1967, the Braves had moved to Atlanta. His batting average was 200 over six seasons. Oh, wow. So he really was not even a utility guy like Johnny, huh? (laughs) Yeah. Sort of wonder why they don't call it the Euchre line instead of the Mendoza line. But yes, 200 lifetime batting average, 14 career home runs. But apparently one of them was off of Sandy Koufax. He was capable of greatness once in a while. In 1971, Bob became a radio announcer for the still kind of newish Milwaukee Brewers. Bob still has that job today, 52 years later. And I will say, as much as I love the guy because I think he's funny, I think he's got just the best like self-deprecating dry wit, he's also a really good game caller. He also is a really good spokesman. He will read those cards for the pretzel rolls and for the uh, oozing <laughs> sausage and for the line and Kugel summer shandy and things like that. And it's like, yeah, I want to go drink that beer and eat those pretzels <laughs> and uh, and have a sausage to boot. He loves baseball. He loves his job. He is so freaking positive that he's he is just an absolute delight. Everything I've told you up till now is a great baseball success story, right? Mm -hmm. He made something out of nothing. But somehow, and this really got me curious, somehow Bob Euchre became Mr. Baseball. By the mid-80s, he had his own sitcom and a role in one of the most successful baseball movie franchises. And I'll dig into those. But I kept asking myself, how do you get from being a scrub player in the 1960s and a small market radio announcer in the 1970s to a household name? Well, as far as I can tell, it is from being a nice guy and from being as funny as heck. And that, that, like, is literally it. He's not a great actor. He doesn't have, like, a ton of range. He basically plays Bob Euchre-type Bob Euchre. characters. 
But I think it started with Johnny Carson. Bob Euchre started appearing on The Tonight Show in 1976. So five years into his job, he had started doing color commentary on the, you remember the game of the week? Yes, I do remember that. In the 70s, that was the only way you could actually watch baseball on TV generally. Otherwise, you had to listen on the radio to your local team if your AM signal was strong enough. That's right. You weren't able to watch teams from all across the country back then. Except for the game of the week with Keith Jackson or Kurt Gowdy or Joe Garagiola or Bob Euchre. Euchre did special events. He did Monday Night Baseball in 1976. He did the All-Star Game. He did the AL Championship Series. And clearly, you know, I think he was skilled enough as a commentator for the Brewers games that he was seen as somebody that could step in. But once he started appearing on The Tonight Show, and there's some great clips, and we'll, we'll make sure that those get posted, too. He is so natural, and Carson is adoring him. And it's funny to watch the two of them go back and forth, because it is almost like Abbott Costello, like, double act. Carson sets up Euchre, and Euchre, like, actually finally does hit a few out of the park. <laughs> Being a regular in late-night television, apparently all it took to really make Bob Euchre Mr. Baseball. He parlayed that into the light beer commercials, If I say tastes great, you say... Less filling. Thank you. Those iconic ads also started in 1976, but you didn't get on board until 1982. And he has some of the best ones in the whole ad series. The the one where he sits down and he gets kicked out of his seat by the usher and he says, must be in the front row. Good seats, huh? We're in the wrong seat, buddy. Come on. Oh, I must be in the front row. I could not get enough of that when I was a kid. One key acting role in Bob's career is in one of the light beer commercials. He played Whitey Ford, or at least he said he was the Whitey mm-hmm. Ford in order to get guys at the bar to buy him light beer from Miller, which tastes great and is less filling. <laughs> Again, that doesn't exactly sound like the recipe for Hollywood success, but it clearly worked because the next thing that he did was a TV show called Mr. Belvedere. And I think that's what essentially made... Bob Euchre, a true household name. The whole story of Mr. Belvedere was that an English butler is writing a novel and he wants to learn what a real American family is like. And so he becomes a butler for George Owens, a Pittsburgh-based sports writer, as played by Bob Euchre. It's a sitcom from the 80s. What do you think happens? Misunderstandings, weird coincidences, double takes. There were a lot of sitcoms in the 80s that were about people like getting some well, like The Fresh Prince, like Silver Spoons, you know, like Mr. Belvedere, like different strokes, right? There there was definitely a theme going on back then. Yeah. How can we get a different fish and get him out of different water? Exactly. Essentially the formula. Perfect strangers. Fish Fish out of water. How do they how do they react? But yeah. It was, a, it was a very 80s and early 90s trope. Instead of portraying a Milwaukee-based baseball commentator, Bob Euchre showed some range by playing a Pittsburgh-based sports writer. I mean, see, had, he, can, he can be an announcer, he can be a writer, he can, yeah, amazing. There is almost no baseball content in Mr. Belvedere, but I do want to read you the synopsis for the episode in, entitled The Field from season six in 1989. It's George's birthday. George, of course, played by Bob Euchre. He's pushing Wesley, his youngest son, to excel at baseball. And when Wesley decides to cheat, 
George is upset at him, and Wesley says she did it for him. This is from the IMDb synopsis, and that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I mean, I never go by the IMDb synopsis. They are really... Actually, if you want to be entertained, read the IMDb synopsis of your favorite movies, and you will be like, what movie are they talking about? Well, this one does say Belvedere in it multiple times, so I do know that, that it's about Mr. Belvedere. But... Because it's George's birthday, Belvedere decides to give George a different present. And so the next day at Wesley's game, Mr. Belvedere arranged for some great players like Hank Aaron, Willie Mays, Reggie Jackson, Johnny Bench. Uh, always Johnny Bench. Yeah, no Johnny oh, Berardino, though, sadly. Yeah, I got my Johnny B's in, was, your Johnny B is not. He was too busy being being on General Hospital. Again. Harmon Killebrew, who I... Ah. <laughs> You're not going to find a lot of IMDb listings for a good old uh, Harmon Killebrew. Harmon Killebrew. Nice. Sorry about that. Was not seeing that one coming, but go ahead. <laughs> and uh, Ernie Let's Play Two Banks from the Chicago <laughs> Cubs. And so that was on Wesley's team. Wow. <laughs> on George's team. Guess who played on George's team? <laughs> Robert Goulet as himself. <laughs> Robert Goulet. <laughs> <laughs> so wait so in case you don't know like robert goulet is like a staple of of tv in like the late 70s 80s like there were certain character actors and i think as a kid i didn't understand where these people came from like i had no idea i just knew that they appeared on sitcoms from time to time and, and, and had no shows. idea what their careers were like and game shows and no idea what that they had like probably full-on like broadway careers at some point and yeah Yes, but I've, go ahead. I've, I just wanted I, to point that out. Y'all can look up all the baseball players that I just mentioned, but I think it is important because there's there really isn't any context for Robert Goulet. He just was like the cheesy crooner. Yep. I think he was, I think he might have been in Camelot, the musical in the 60s or something. I've slowly learned that maybe he actually was like a great talent of some measure. And then quickly fell upon just like, well, what's the path of least resistance? How about I play Bob Goulet? I have the range to play that part. By the way, Harmon Killebrew also played himself in Step by Step, an episode of the, the TV show Step by Step. Wow. And was, and was in a movie, a 1990 movie called Pastime, where he was vfw man so he's got more than mr <laughs> De mr belvedere i just was just curious because that that one threw me for a loop because i did not see that coming <laughs> so i gave myself a cutoff of, of three o'clock this afternoon to stop researching because i kept finding things and at 259 i went into leo de rocher's imdp page and wow. he was on so many freaking tv shows that we might have a special episode uh, devoted to the mouthy manager of the renown of 50s and 60s. Stay tuned for that episode. I, I know right. you won't. Uh, <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> I do want to point out that there was a, an episode from season five that Bob Euchre did not appear in. And it just, the synopsis is just so good. Kevin, the oldest son, gets a job as an escort. The episode is <laughs> A very special Mr. Belvedere. Yes. The episode is titled The Escort. So I do believe that this isn't just somebody filling in the blanks. But yeah, uh -huh. Kevin Kevin gets a job as an escort. And the woman he gets is an elderly, wealthy woman. The two of them have such a good time that she makes him an offer. And when his parents find out about it, they freak out. Wow. So I, I may try to watch that episode, The um, Escort, from season five of Mr. Belvedere. <laughs> 
Do we know who played the the woman, the older woman? I did not. Uh, again, that was sort of a and late, I know they late say, in the game. They, I know that you said elderly, and that's the description. My bet is this woman was probably in her fifties, and if and if you and if you <laughs> describe that person as elderly, I'm going to come after you. Yeah, uh, <laughs> how epi- dare you? <laughs> that episode was from the late eighties, so that woman is probably not even elderly now. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just very curious what uh, connotates elderly for uh, this person's mind. Now, before we get into Bob's movie career, I do want to say he appeared. I tried to find this. This is where you go down rabbit holes and then come up empty. But apparently he guest hosted an episode of the Midnight Special. Oh, wow. Featuring the Bellamy Brothers, Let Your Love Flow, and Blondie from 1981. So that would be Rapture-era Blondie. That that would. I would actually watch that episode. I think I would super be into that. So yeah, we're going to keep working on that one, folks. Okay. In 1986, during the peak of Mr. Belvedere Mania, Bob Euchre played Bob Euchre on Who's the Boss? On an episode called The Unnatural that had... And I did not realize, I didn't never watch Who's the Boss, but Tony Michelli. I watched Who's the Boss. I loved Who's the Boss. I did not realize that Tony Michelli was a former baseball player for the St. Louis Baseball Cardinals, is how they refer to the team on the show. That's right. Now, I knew that Tony Danza was a former boxer, and I just assumed his character was also a former boxer, but a former baseball player. No, you know why they probably did that? Because on Taxi, where he got his big break, his character was a boxer, which is what he was. So they probably just wanted to mix it up a little bit. We'll make him a a baseball player just to, you know, not typecast him. (laughs) What was his character's name on uh, Taxi? Tony? Uh, yeah, aren't all his characters named Tony? I, it's like, can he not remember it, another name? It's it's just, or does he just look so much like a Tony? You can't. So props to to John Berardino and Bob Uecker, both playing somebody that wasn't, that did not have the same name. So they at least remember to look over at the other actor when they heard Dr. Hardy or uh, George Owens. It's like, oh, you're talking to me. Well, on this episode of Who's the Boss, it features Bob Uecker, Billy Martin, and Steve Sachs as themselves, part of Tony's old baseball crew. And of course, uh, I don't know when those guys would have ever been in the same room at the same time otherwise, but don't know. Uh, magic of casting. <laughs> Just to wrap up with Bob, let's go to his movie career. Basically, Major League, Major League Two, and Major League Back to the Minors. He played Harry Doyle, a radio announcer with the famous tagline, just a bit outside. Which you can hear pretty much any baseball announcer say throughout the season. I think that's part of the magic of Bob Euchre, is that he actually kind of helped to invent some of the modern lexicon and tone of actual radio broadcasters, not just the fictional one that he played in the movies. Very influential person. And Major League is a movie that a lot of baseball players still, like even to this day, young baseball players will say, I, this is my favorite movie. This is where I, why I actually wear the number 99. I forget there was a Paul, Paul player I was reading about, not Aaron Judge, um, who was said, this is why I wear 99. I wear it because of Major League. So it's, it's still a favorite. It's a classic. But we don't watch the good classics, Mark. We watch the, the babe. That, that sounds like a callback to me. It talking is a about, callback. Talking about the 1992 movie, The Babes, during John Goodman that broke our souls and we still made an episode about it. God, it almost made me hate Babe Ruth and John and, Goodman. Both men I like. 
And that's why we still have not done a second Bad Hops Film Festival yet, because I think we, the first one was so awful. We, we need to do, well, we're going to do another one. We're going to do one. I was thinking it would be more of a regular segment, but I think we need to do one a year where we go to okay. the movies. I think we can handle one a year. So we're going to work on that. Bob Uecker, there's a clip of him on Johnny Carson, and Carson is giving him a hard time saying, Bob, do you think the, you're ever going to get in the Hall of Fame? And Uecker just kind of puts his head down and, and laughs to himself and says, no, no, of course not. Yeah, you know, Lifetime batting average of 200. No, you're not going to get in the Hall of Fame. But he did. In 2003, he won the Ford C. Frick Award for Broadcasting Excellence. And that doesn't officially make him a Hall of Famer, but he is now immortalized in the Baseball Hall of Fame. So Bob Euchre, Mr. Baseball. Mr. Baseball, well-deserved. He should be in there for his announcing because, as you said, big influence on the game as far as uh, announcing the game and also just pop culture. I mean, just in general. Big influence. When we come back, we're going to talk about players that played themselves on TV episodes, and then we'll take a quick spin through some actors who did play baseball after we come back. And now, instead of baseball players who played other characters, we're going to talk about baseball players who played themselves and not the pool boy. I'm sorry. The pool waiter. Or the captain of the guards. Captain of the guards. <laughs> we can't okay. do this segment without talking about... I'm Keith Hernandez. <laughs> <laughs> Probably one of the more recent famous sports cameos. I mean, it is a classic, and this is on a show, Seinfeld, that had a lot of baseball players on it as far as cameos. Paul O'Neill was on Derek Jeter, Bernie Williams. But the Keith Hernandez episode is just a classic for so many reasons. And it's not even that Keith Hernandez was great, but he was very good at playing himself, you know? The episode itself just had so many interesting little twists and turns. So if you remember the plot, Jerry meets Keith Hernandez at... Is it at a gym? I think it's at a gym, yeah. It's at a gym, right? Okay, I'm remembering that correctly. He's at a gym. He's, uh, you know, he approaches... Jerry to tell because Jerry wants to approach him. He's like, I'm not, I'm not going to approach him. He's, you know, he's Keith Hernandez. He's a famous ball player, you know. And Keith Hernandez comes up, comes up to him and compliments him on his comedy. And then they have a really interesting budding friendship. And then at some point, Elaine ends up dating Keith Hernandez. Jerry becomes jealous of of Elaine for becoming friends with Keith Hernandez. And then of course there's, you know, there's. All the silly Seinfeld stuff ensues where then Keith Hernandez wants Jerry to help him move. And then Jerry's like, you know, this is, this is, you know, this is a big step in, a, in you know, a, a man's friendship relationship. And it goes from there. But there is that line where Elaine and Keith are in the car and he's like, you know, is he going to, is he going to kiss her? Is he not? And, you know, he, it's the, I'm Keith Hernandez. Like, who does this guy think he, think he is? I'm Keith Hernandez. And it really is just, and then there's the whole Kramer and Newman talking about they think Keith Hernandez spit on them at, and they do a, a spit on them at, at outside of Shea Stadium after a, a Mets game and they do a really great bit about you know that make kind of like a parody of JFK which was a yeah. very popular movie at that time it was just 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 pure gold it was it's probably one of the best athlete cameos that I can think of off the top of my head 
I think it might be the definitive athlete cameo. And I don't care if like Charles Barkley was on an episode of Arliss saying, Arliss, you got to get me a better deal. It's like, who cares? This is stupid. Because it, it essentially, it's a, a really richly layered episode. It's a love triangle it between is. Jerry, Keith, and Elaine. And Jerry thinks that Keith is interested in him. And then, of course, it ends up, you know, it's just two dudes hanging out platonically. But Jerry, like, yeah, the whole thing about, like, that is a huge step in the relationship. And it was like, oh, my God, That's this right. is like a, this is almost like a fatal attraction. It really <laughs> is. Sort of story. And then it does that weird, surrealistic shift into the JFK and the Zapruder film and the Magic Loogie and things like that. So, yeah, may not be Keith Hernandez's greatest work because that would be the... The, the Just for Men commercials. <laughs> Your beard is weird. Where he also plays himself. <laughs> He's good at playing himself. He does a good job. I will say I am not a Mets fan. Um, and I don't have, you know, I'm kind of, I'm neutral on them. I'm not one of these, you know, I'm Yankee fans. I don't, I really don't have any hatred, but I will listen to Mets broadcasts, especially to hear Keith Hernandez and Ron Darling, because I like they're a great duo together. But he Keith Hernandez is just he just says what he what whatever pops into his head. And he still has that 70s porn stash going on all these all these many years later. And and on top of that, he really was a, a great first baseman. I mean, he's you know, yeah. one, one, one of the, the games, uh, especially modern era uh first baseman so his baseball knowledge is great it's just he is who he is and he's enjoyable so yeah seinfeld keith hernandez episode if for some reason you have never seen it you should and if for some reason you've never seen keith hernandez smoking a cigarette in a ball game we'll share some of those photos as well but this is what jackie and i do late at night we text each other and basically try to make each other laugh like it like we small hours of the night <laughs> when other people might wake up what's so funny <laughs> exactly exactly but yeah and keith that's a, and that is a big plot point why elaine ends up ditching keith hernandez because she finds out he smokes yeah like he's an athlete which you know nowadays that would be the reaction how can yeah. an athlete smoke but they used to smoke in the dugout back in the day turns out if she had ever collected his baseball cards she would have known this that's right. <laughs> <laughs> there are so many players that played themselves. I am going to take a trip into the multiverse. Okay. Because I did find one player who played himself, but he did not play himself, as far as I can tell. That is Lou Gehrig. Of course, when you look up Lou Gehrig movie, the only thing that ever shows up on the first 500 pages of Google is the Lou Gehrig story starring Gary Cooper, which <laughs> is like... We're never going to make fun of that movie because it's like just a like an hour and a half long gut punch. It is like because it. I mean, Luke Gehrig's story is so tragic. It's a tearjerker movie and and things like that. But this is not the movie, uh, Jackie. I'm going to read you the tagline to this movie. I'm going to see if you can okay. guess the name of this this movie that Luke Gehrig plays himself in. All right. Rustlers raid the range, but baseball's greatest hero teams with your favorite singing cowboy and breaks up the most exciting game he's ever played. Wow. Was it Roy Rogers? Was he the, was he the singing, a singing cowboy? He was a singing cowboy. But he's not uh, the singing cowboy. And it's not and Gene Autry was also Gene the another former, singing. former owner of the California Angels, also a, a singing cowboy. He's not my favorite. My favorite singing cowboy, according to this, is Smith Baloo. <laughs> Smith Baloo? 
The myth of wow. Baloo. It, what, what, can, can I just like ask what year this is? Just curious. 1938. So it's not Baloo, okay. from, the, not Baloo from the Jungle Book. <laughs> <laughs> Who's my favorite singing bear? My favorite Baloo. <laughs> yeah. Also my favorite Baloo. Mm-hmm. I want you to keep your earlier score of 100%. So I'm just going to go ahead and tell you it's Rawhide, but not, not any of the Rawhides you've ever heard of. Okay. Here is the synopsis. Famed New York Yankees baseball star retires and buys a ranch in Montana. He's hoping for the quiet life, but soon discovers that a protection racket being run by a local gang, and they expect him to pay up. Luckily, Gehrig has an ally in lawyer Larry Kimball, who I believe is played by Smith Ballou, your favorite singing cowboy. My favorite singing cowboy. <laughs> so this movie, and and the speculation with this was that... Lou Gehrig, who was a very famous person in 1938, he was still playing, still uh, a, a superstar with the Yankees, that if he played anybody else, no one would believe it, that he just like literally did not have the depth or the range or anything else. And they just wanted to be able to say it was Lou Gehrig. <laughs> kind of like how Tony Danza's character is always called Tony. I think maybe it was important uh, if somebody said in the in a scene, Mr. Gehrig, that he, he would know that's who that they're talking to him. <laughs> I'm going to read you a quote from the, the opening scene, which is the press conference. The first reporter kicks off the movie, says, I'll bet you a new suit of clothes. You'll be in Florida for spring training. The second reporter then says, ah, just wait until the old season starts. You'll miss the crowds and the cheering and the excitement. And Lou Gehrig in a Oscar-worthy performance says, that's just what I want to get away from. I've had all of that. I'm going to wallow in peace and quiet for the rest of my life. I'm going to hang up my spikes for a swell old pair of carpet slippers. Carpet slippers. How many That's... Marvel movies start with a like the the world exploding or something like that or some amazing action sequence? This starts with a press conference where Lou Gehrig basically says, "I just want to put on some slippers." But carpet slippers. Carpet like, slippers. I, I, different than regular slippers. Well, I think these are fancier. Are they fancier? Or, or you just wear them on the carpet? Or they're made of carpet, like a carpet bag. <laughs> it was very specific. I mean, he said yeah. carpet slippers. Not a, a swell old pair of carpet oh. slippers. So, yeah, so not new. Apparently some used slippers possibly made <laughs> out of carpet. I think that should be a giveaway, actually. Lou Gehrig carpet slipper night at Yankee Stadium. For old timers. I'm going to get me the Steinbrenners on the phone. Okay, so it is a specific kind of slipper. I had to look it up. I'm sorry. Okay, no, this this I appreciate your fact checking. This is the important stuff. It is. It is a light, soft shoe that is easily put on and taken off and worn indoors. Oh, there's a whole history of it. So far, nothing you've said doesn't just mean slippers. To I mean, me. it just it just means <laughs> slippers. But okay, that's why people just say slippers. Or a swell old pair of carpet slippers. I think the thing, the important thing in this scene, and if you're not crying, there's something wrong with you because this is again, like, like I said, should be. Well, did they have Oscars in 1938? Maybe that's why. No, they did. Cheated. They've had okay. the, they've had them. I think since the 20s. Okay, so he got robbed, but he clearly drew out that final line instead of just saying, "I'm going to hang up my spikes." That would seal the deal for any other actor, right? But he says, I'm going to hang up my spikes for a swell old pair of carpet slippers. That's how you know he's serious. That's how you know that when he moves to Montana, he's there for keeps until, of course, a local gang hits him up with a protection racket. That's the 1938 movie 
starring a multiversal Lou Gehrig where he plays a cowboy instead of a baseball player. I want to give a little lip service to some actors who did play baseball but never quite made it. Probably the most famous one, Kurt Russell. You know, that computer that wore tennis shoes? Mm-hmm. That guy that just tried to escape from New York? Mm-hmm. You're, you're full in on the Kurt Russell discourse here. The person who is shacking up with Goldie Hawn? Ah, oh, that Kurt Russell, yes. Yeah, that, that Kurt Russell. Yeah, 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 yeah. The one I, who was in Overboard? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That Kurt Russell, yeah. Yeah. I know him. Kurt Russell. And we're going to talk about his dad at some point. I still need to watch the... Did you watch the documentary about his dad? I haven't, actually. I didn't know there was one. Yeah, so Kurt Russell's dad, Bing Russell, you know, White Christmas and all those things with Bob Hope. No, Bing Russell owned a team called the Portland Mavericks in the 1970s. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. I forgot about that. And it it was basically like a super scruffy independent league, minor league team. And it was the the talk of Portland. And it made baseball so popular in Portland in the 70s that Major League Baseball ended up establishing a actual AAA franchise, which was the Portland Beavers Padres affiliate until the soccer team kicked them out of the stadium. (laughs) Go Timbers. I think we'll watch that documentary and we'll report back to you on Kurt's dad. But Kurt played for that team and he also uh, was in the Angels minor league system, switch hitting second baseman, but he tore his rotator cuff in 1973. So he'd already become like a Disney movie guy, mm-hmm. his teens. His rotator cuff got torn when a runner slid into him to break up a double play. And so he decided he would just focus on acting and Goldie Hawns. I think he made the right decisions. I think so. Scott Patterson. Do you know who Scott Patterson is? I did not, but then I did know. No, don't know who that is. So he was a starting pitcher drafted by the Braves in 1980. He tried to get into the bigs with the Yankees and the Dodgers, but no luck. But then he became best known for playing Luke Danes, Lorelai Gilmore's on-again, off-again love interest. Gilmore Girls. Oh, okay, that that tracks. I could see him being a uh, former ball player. He has a vibe. He was also hunky enough to be considered sponge-worthy by Elaine on Seinfeld. Oh, One of, okay. uh, I think, a, a handful of guys that Elaine was saving the sponge for. And then there was another guy. I thought this was kind of interesting. I try not to focus on people who aren't really successful. But this guy played, was in the White Sox minor league system for just for one year. Mm-hmm. In 1994, he hit 202, three home runs. He ended up being one of the biggest movies in 1996. This guy called uh, uh, Michael Jordan huh. in uh, Space Jam. Space Jam. Space Jam. Just, no, I'm just kidding. Of course I know Space Jam and Michael Jordan. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's, that's a little bit of a stretch. But yeah, that's he did play. He played in the White Sox, the t- White Sox system. He never, they never called him up. Oh, they? no. He was really bad. Hit 202 and three home runs in his only season with the Birmingham Barons, a double A team. So uh-huh. they didn't do the Tebow spectacle that the Mets did a few years back, the Tim Tebow uh, when he was playing in the Mets minor league system. What they did for him, and I had not realized this at the time when I was living in Chicago, uh, Jerry Reinsdorf, the owner of the Chicago Bulls, mm-hmm. uh, Michael Jordan's full time job, was also the owner of the White Sox. That's right. I do recall that. And when Jordan said he was burned out and he wanted to do something different, he always wanted to try baseball. Reinsdorf said, well, go ahead and do this, but um, we're going to keep your Bulls contract active. So he actually got a 
got to double dip on a top tier NBA salary and a double A baseball supplement for poker money. Why not? Right. If you can do it, like we have talked about some acting luminaries here, Keith Hernandez, Johnny Bench, John Berardino, Bob Uecker. When we come back, it's time to get the headshots out. We are going to cast the next generation of superstars. We got some EGOT people, maybe. 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 We, we got some people that might be able to be in a TV show. How about that? Maybe, but still. After think- the break, it's casting time. Mark? It's time for us to do some casting. I'm not going to do the casting couch because that's not who I am. We're going to bring some people in to read for some some archetypes that we think might be able to have a second career after they're done playing. I did not tell you, but earlier today, after I cut myself off of looking at Leo DeRocher's IMDb page, uh, I talked to Steve Cohen, the owner of the Mets, and he's agreed to give us $200 million to cast a movie. Okay. With an all-male cast. (laughs) I mean, considering that, you know, they love to have movies with, you know, just woman as eye candy or peripheral woman, I I feel like this could get made. Yes. I think it's going to be amazing. So we've compiled a list of archetypes, and then I don't know who Jackie picked. Jackie doesn't know who I've picked. We'll see if we ever overlap. We probably will. Yeah, but we'll just see what happens. So, Jackie, the first one on the list is the tough guy. Who's Who do you have playing the tough guy? Alec Manoa, pitcher for the Blue Jays. Ooh, he's kind of like a Guy Ritchie kind of tough guy. He's kind of like, he's, you know, he's kind of a blowhard. He likes to, you know, he likes to talk a lot. He does a lot of talking. Not, you know, his pitching is so-so. But yeah, I think he sees himself as a tough guy. And I yeah. think he would make a good tough guy, especially one that gets his comeuppance at the end, because tough guys always do. I yeah. chose Pete Alonzo. Mm. Kind of a big strapping fellow like okay. uh, Alec Manoa. I think maybe a little bit on the uh, more muscly side. But yeah, he just strikes me as kind of um, not necessarily a multidimensional actor, but definitely if you... Uh, you need somebody to kind of be a threatening force in a dark alley or something like that. I think the, the polar bear would be pretty good. I think so. I, I, would, I would be. A, I would want to meet him in a dark alley. The next one we've got is the mysterious stranger. Ah, uh, I chose Zach Greinke. Interesting. That's a good one. That is a, a guy, good one. A guy that doesn't like to talk. Mm-hmm. Whatever you're asking about is none of your business. And yeah, I think he's got his own agenda. A little bit of a stone face. So, yeah, I think Zach Greinke is my mysterious stranger. Who do you got? I have DJ LeMayhew. Oh, what does okay. anyone know about DJ LeMayhew? He doesn't like to talk about anything but baseball. You know, he doesn't mug for the camera. He just, like, focuses on the game. So, yeah, DJ LeMayhew. Nobody really knows anything about him at this point. Like I said, it's an all-male cast, so that rules out Judy Greer. But who do you have as the wacky best friend? I picked... Alex Verdugo, mainly because he's a ginger. And, you know, gingers always make good, wacky friends, right? I agree. I had a ginger on the list originally, and then I reassigned him someplace else. I put Jazz Chisholm. Okay. Okay. You know, he's the cover star of MLB The Show this year, and he has the kind of, like, nuttiest picture. Like, he's, like, flipping his hat, holding up his bling, and just, like, looking like the guy that is going to materialize out of nowhere, and you're going to have a hell of a time. Our next one is the dumb jock. Who do you have 
for the dumb jock. Daniel Vogelbach. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's too easy. Yeah, but I know. Yes, but you're right. I'm now sort of regretting my choice, although I don't think you would disagree with Mike Trout. No, I wouldn't actually. And I'm <laughs> vacillated with him in a, a variety of those kind of roles. So Vogelbach and Trout, I, I could actually, yeah, that, that could be like kind of a buddy picture right there. I mean, right? Two of them in like a classic muscle car driving across the country. They need to get like a case, bunch of Coors beer to, oh, no, that's something else. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> could work. Okay, our next one we've got is The Nerd. Who did you pick for The Nerd? I picked Ozzy Albies from the Atlanta Braves. Okay, that's good. And, and it's largely based on a recent photo that I saw. We're going to talk about celebrations in an upcoming episode because uh, baseball celebrations have gotten interesting and fun. And you know what happens in baseball when something gets interesting and fun the league starts to crack down on it. But uh, did you see Albies wearing the big hat? It's an oversized baseball hat that looks like it would be appropriate for somebody that was 12 feet tall. Albies was wearing it in the dugout, wandering around right before it got banned by the league for being disrespectful to new era caps. <laughs> whatever. Oh, of course, of course. Until he comes out with one that has a giant new era logo on it, and then they'll be yeah. really cool with it. But Albies was serving up some prime Urkel wearing that big hat. So just based on the big hat alone, Ozzy Albies is my nerd. All right. That's a good good pick. I went with someone you've picked for another role. I went with Jazz Chisholm for a very okay. similar reason. Because he's kind of he's kind of dorky. Um again, that commercial that you that you referenced. Uh, um he's kind of like doing wacky things. He kind of he's like skinny and he wears the big chains and he's got the silly hair and he definitely to me like looks like the nerd. He's so adorable. I will accept that. I don't think I'll change my vote, but yeah, I think we can both be right about putting little JC in there. The romantic lead in this all-male cast. In this all-male cast, right? <laughs> so I have two that I picked. I couldn't... Anthony Rizzo, I thought, because okay. he kind of has... He kind of looks, you know, he's, he's yeah. the looking jock. Or Mookie Betts. I think Mookie Betts also would be okay. a good romantic lead. So one or the other. Or maybe they are my two romantic leads in this oh. male cast. Maybe that's it. There you go. Are you ready to share your shipping of the of those two of the, oh, the, Rizzo, yeah. the Rizzo and Betts, the Rizettes, the Rizettes, or the uh, the uh, no, no, the Rookies. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I ended up finding Jihan Bay, and I didn't choose him. He's from the Pittsburgh Pirates. Okay. The, a Korean player. He looks like he is in a K-pop band. Okay. So he looks like the sort of thing that a lot of teen girls would swoon over. Um, but the fact his last name is Bay was real. That sold it. That there sold it go. for me. There you go. Okay. The next one we've got is the evil mastermind. Who's your evil mastermind? I had this guy penciled in for almost every position, but I ultimately decided that the evil mastermind is Spencer Strider. Oh, Atlanta Braves. He's like the best kind of nuts in my mind. He's like, he's rocking this crazy stash. He's got like ice flowing through his veins. I, I think he is like a merciless pitcher. And so I think he would make an excellent evil mastermind, especially in this like 60s James Bond sort of vibe. Interesting. And I have to tell you, when I kept thinking evil mastermind, I kept going with pitchers as well. For some reason, okay. pitchers and evil mastermind go together. I went with Max Scherzer because okay. 
you know, he is kind of an evil mastermind on the mound. He look, he, he, he's definitely looks like he's a little angry when he's pitching. He definitely has a formula that he's, that he's got in his head. He's got, you know, he's got the two different colored eyes, which I think are great, which make for a great, like interesting evil mastermind. I, I went with Max and I think you have to pick up a, a picture for an evil mastermind. You know, they're, 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 they're always thinking, right? They're always, they're always focused on that one thing all the time because they can be, because they're, unless you're Shohei Otani, they only have to focus on your pitching. So I think they make good evil masterminds. If I were a GM, I mean, yeah, I'd look at the sabermetrics and things like that, but ultimately, especially when you're looking for closers, mm-hmm. I think the question I would put forward is, is he an evil mastermind? Because yeah. especially... Like, you know, Josh Hader might have fit in on that because he's got that sort of, like, crazy look in his mm-hmm. eyes and throws 100 miles an hour. And it's like, I'm going to just, like, let this guy burn me. Yeah, Dustin May of the Dodgers. He's another one. Crazy, wild, red hair and just, like, out there, like, got an interesting delivery. Yeah, got to be a pitcher for your evil mastermind. The warrior. Who do you see as the warrior? This is where I went with Mike Trout because he's just this big, like he just like you send him into battle. He looks like a a, a Mack truck. He's built like a Mack truck. You could probably, you know, put anvils on top of his neck. He's so strong. You know, he's five to a player. So he's your warrior. I'm going to slide down the bench just a little bit and go with Shohei okay. Otani. All right. Because speaking of celebrations, Otani has introduced the Kabuto to the Angels dugout, which is literally a samurai warrior helmet. Whoever the team decides is the player of the game gets to wear the Kabuto, but Otani wore it first. So he's the warrior. He's the warrior. Yeah, they use it for home runs too. They put him on put him yeah. on the guys who hit home runs because I have seen I've have seen Mike Trout in it as well. You mean the guy that hits the home run that gets it uh, so the Angels only lose by one or two? Exactly. That's that's the guy. Good luck, Anaheim. You're going to need it. <sighs> it's too bad. All right. I like this one, Mark. This is a good one. The first guy to die in a horror movie. Bryce Harper, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's good. He's just going to run into the middle of whatever's happening, and then that's it. Who do you have? I have Fernando Tatis Jr. for obvious reasons. For obvious reasons. (laughs) Like, he is going to be the first guy who dies in a horror movie. You just know it, right? I mean, from Ringworm. From Ringworm, right. Constantly injured, always doing something stupid. First guy to die. Let's do this pair together. Good cop and bad cop. For my good cop, I have Julio Rodriguez because okay. he just looks like he's a nice guy and he would talk to you and you would tell him things and, you know, he's the guy that you're going to confess to. For my bad cop, I have Tim Anderson from the from the White Sox because he really is so petulant. He is your bad cop. <laughs> Who do you have? Who are you pairing? Good cop, bad cop. My good cop is Cedric Mullins. I think much like Julio, he's a sweetie. He's mm-hmm. great. I love Cedric Mullins. Like I, I don't care about the Baltimore Orioles at all, but he's great, and he he is another one of these kids that genuinely loves the game. He's my good cop. Another young player is my bad cop. A guy that looks like he has a permanent mouthful of chaw is Bobby Witt Jr. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. He's the hard nosed son of a gun. That. Uh, does not like riding along with Cedric Mullins. So the, that's my good cop, bad cop. <laughs> Very nice. Not who he seems to be. This is a good one, too. Who who doesn't seem to be who? I mean, this is, or we could call it the, the A-Rod role. And... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I mean, is he actually a talented player or is he just like juiced out the wazoo? Yeah. That, yeah. that wasn't what I was thinking here. I, I chose a guy. He was originally going to be my stoic. Okay. But the more I read about Kyle Tucker from the Houston Astros, a team that I still actively dislike, Kyle Tucker was a stone face when he first started, but it turns out he was just shy. He has actually asked to do more community appearances and more media outreach and things like that because he's actually sort of warmed up to it. And he, it seems like he's actually like a very tender-hearted young person. Um, so I guess he could also be a good cop if he really wanted to. But yeah, so Kyle Tucker is not who he seems to be. I went with Aaron Judge because I feel like there's more there. He's not quite Jeter-esque, where, but okay. I think there's something going on there. He seems like he has thoughts and things, other things going on in his life. But my guess is he not, it's not who he seems to be. Like He's not just this big ball player that there's other stuff going on in his life that he's more interested in that he's not going to tell you about. So if he came up to you and quoted a bunch of My Chemical Romance lyrics or something, you would totally swoon for him and be like, wow, he's really so deep. Yes, and I'm waiting for that day to happen when he comes up to me with to quote My Chemical Romance. Yeah, video or it didn't happen. For sure. The trickster. Who do you who would you see as the trickster? So that has to be Shohei Otani. Come on. I mean, the guy can pitch, he can hit, he can do pretty much just about anything. He's my trickster. Okay. On pure talent alone, who do you got? I, I have Rowdy Telez, who seems like he is kind of a cut-up in mm-hmm. the Brewers' dugout. I think he, you know, maybe this is more of a prankster style instead of the true uh, God of Lies, sort of Loki-style uh, uh, trickster. But yeah, I, I, I would put Rowdy in there. The anti-hero. Who's your anti-hero? Nick Castellanos from the Phillies, and largely because he has a, a habit... Whenever a broadcaster has said something that they need to apologize for on the air, or there are other instances where like an announcer is breaking bad news about something and then they have to stop because Castellanos has hit a home run. And so he's he's actually he's broken up some apologies for play-by-play announcers that misspoke or or used slurs or things like that. So yeah, that's a little left field there. I think is that where Castellanos plays? Or is it right field? I don't know. We'll just say I don't know. I went with Manny Machado, mainly because I think he looks like the role more than anything else. Like some of these are based on pure looks alone and not necessarily yeah. personality. And that's where Manny Machado. I like it. The Manic Pixie Dream Boy. Again, it's all male cast. We cannot put a Deschanel sister in any of these roles. I think this is one that we should explain, Manic Pixie Dream Boy, because I feel like it's a term that people hear a lot and not may not necessarily know what it is. So I'm going to give you a, okay. a, a definition. It is a kind of quirky, attractive, and misunderstood guy who values the female protagonist for something that isn't related to her career or personal goals. That is a manic pixie dream boy. Excellent. Thank you. You're welcome. You just gender flopped mansplaining. <laughs> I I did. I did. That's 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 why I'm here. <laughs> well, and you're also um, here to tell me who your manic pixie dream boy is. Exactly. And they're usually like a free-spirited dude. So I went with Noah Syndergaard. I thought he looks the part, and I think he might be the part. He is definitely a free-spirited dude. You know, he was Thor. He was very, you know, I think he has manic pixie dream boy vibes. How about you? Okay. And it's amazing how little overlap we have on this list in terms of players. But I did choose one of your earlier picks, uh-huh. Dustin May. Okay. Yeah, I, I think I think a ginger is often a w- well suited to be the manic pixie, whatever. <laughs> For sure. 
Dustin May with that big, not big, ginormous. It's enormous. Yeah, I don't even know how. Honestly, there are days when I feel like his hair is reminiscent when my hair is is big and long. Like that's what my hair would look like in, in a baseball cap. But I love it. <laughs> Was what your hair would look like in a baseball cap after you had licked your finger and stuck it in a socket. Exactly. Love it. And then Absolutely it's, love and it. And it somehow turned red in the process. <laughs> the stoic. Who, who's stoic for you? I chose Framber Valdez from the Astros because I essentially was just looking for somebody that doesn't look like he smiles much. And again, okay. that's a good trade in a pitcher. You want somebody to kind of scare the crap out of you. You're either wild and crazy or you just don't show emotion. And to me, everything that I found uh, with Framber on it, he, he just like looks like he's just going to freeze you out. It's a solid pick. I went with Freddie Freeman because he does look stoic and he, he just gets up and he like smashes the ball a million miles out of the ballpark. He doesn't preen. He, you know, he doesn't even sometimes look like he has the capability to do that, but he just, he's the guy you want up in a big moment. Um, so yeah, Freddie Freeman, he, I think he looks and acts the part of a stoic. I think that's a good choice. We have one more and then we're going to cast some actual movies in just a second, but uh, the final archetype is doesn't play by the book. This, this was easy. I picked Alex Bregman or any member of the 2017 Houston Astros. Oh! <laughs> Obvious reason. No need for me to explain. I was going to say Dylan Cease from the White Sox, but I'm going to change my vote to, yes, Alex Bregman and the, <laughs> the Houston Astros. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was an easy one. Let's put some of these people in movies. You know, Fast X is coming out. I can't wait to see another movie about people driving around and blowing stuff up. But at some point, Vin Diesel's getting too old. So you need to recast or find a new lead person. Who would you put in the in Fast 11? I mean, obvious. John Carl or Stanton, right? Like, he's he's huge. He's pure muscle. I mean, he keeps pulling his calf muscle and not being able to play. So maybe, I don't know if, if getting in and out of a car, he'll be able to handle that. Yeah, is that his but, brake foot or his accelerator foot? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I'm not really sure, but like they can, they can, but he looks the part. He absolutely looks the part. I'm putting you Darvish in. Another right. big, big muscle guy, and he's got the weird beard. And I think that feels like enough of a signature to make him look different enough from Vin Diesel, but kind of have his own thing. So we've got the next Marvel tentpole movie. At some point, we'll need a new Iron Man. We'll need a new Captain America. I, I feel like Raphael Devers looks the part. He's kind of got that all-American look, like the right amount of muscles, but a kind of a million-dollar smile. So yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put Devers on my list. Interesting. In a similar vein, I went with Xander Bogarts. Because I think he also, he looks like a Marvel. He, he could be a, a Marvel character. He's a superhero for sure. This is Bad Hop's history tonight, where you and I have both said something nice about a Red Sox. Although, well, uh, he's a standard. Bogarts is a former Red Sox at this point. Exactly. This one's almost too easy in terms of making fun of stuff. But who would you put in the next Wes Anderson movie? I went with Francisco Lindor because he's another one who he's just out there. I mean, he has the hair for the Royal Tannenbaums, doesn't he? Does he not? No, that's true. I think that makes a lot of sense. I had two choices here. I had Andrew Haney from the Rangers because he sort of looks like Luke Wilson and Owen Wilson all smushed into one. 
Okay. So I figured that's a good head start. But then found a picture of Jose Trevino from oh. the Yankees. Okay. And this is now me picking a Yankee for look something. At you pick it, look at you picking a, a Yankee. And I chose him largely because in the 2022 All-Star Game parade, the dude was basically wearing couch upholstery for a suit and looked spectacular, but he you could just sort of see him standing against a weird contrasting wallpaper doing one of those still establishing shots. So, yeah, Jose Trevino, I think, would actually be my winner of the two. I, I like that one. A John Hughes remake. I feel like uh, this one I could have, there were so many, and I blew some of my my people for this one, but there were definitely, there were a lot of ways you'd go with this one. So, John Hughes remake, who, who, who do you got? Who's your top guy? Well, now I'm bummed that I already chose Dustin May for something, because he would have been Andy in, in Pretty in Paint. <laughs> he really would. <laughs> I I chose uh, Jonathan India from the Cincinnati Reds. He's a like he's a good looking hunky guy, but he also looks like he's got a he's a bit of a sensitive poet, okay, as well. And I think that he that may might also put him in the category where you were putting Aaron Judge, the sensitive soul inside that athletic body. Uh, with this one, I thought Anthony Rizzo actually would have been a good lead. Like he kind of has that eighties hero look. But then I went in a different direction with John Hughes characters. I came up with Cal Raleigh, the catcher for the Mariners, as the, the, the big the, dumper. The, the big dumper, yes. I went with the big dumper because he's kind. He's kind of dorky. He's like the dorky guy. Like you know, he doesn't look like he'd be a good athlete. And he plays yeah. the catching, and so I think he would be kind of that dorky role, like in a weird science or one of the like. He would be that kind of guy. Oh, like okay. I went in that direction because it's very easy to go with a heartthrob in uh, yeah. in John Hughes movies. But we could actually go and we could cast like all the different Breakfast Club members with baseball players at some point. We could. Ooh, I, yeah, I think I, game on. I, I, <laughs> I think we should do that. I think we need to do that at some point because I, I, I this one was a really hard pick for me because there were so many ways you can go. I love it, though. I think that's great. That was a lot, but that was also a lot of fun. Actors who played, players who acted, people who played themselves. And then I think this movie that Steve Cohen is financing for us is going to be a smash. Well, he's getting that patch money that, you know, the... uh... The Mets, they, they had to redesign that patch on their, their uniform like 12 times before they got it to the right size. <laughs> so you're saying he might come up a little short of $200 million if I mean, he I too know much I, on patches? I mean, they had to redesign it several times, so that might have eaten into the profits. You know, Steve doesn't have... It's not like he's sitting up billions of dollars. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Uh, it's okay. Just, you know, just remember, Steve Cohen's going to give us $200 million to make this movie. Looking forward, to, looking forward um, to We just need to write the script. We have it cast, which is awesome. So we just need to figure out how many roles uh, Dustin May and Jazz Chisholm will actually play in this. It'll I just mean, be the two of, of them. them. Yeah. And, and that would be an amazing movie right there. Jazz and Dusty. I like it. end the way we began with Johnny Bench. You promised us uh, there was a, a surprise. Yeah, so we are going to post this. I found out that Johnny Bench made six appearances on Hee Haw. I know that was your favorite show growing up in Long Island. 
Yes, we were big did, hee-haw fans. Did, did, you get, did you get hee-haw in Long oh, Island? Of course, we, of course you got hee-haw. And I remember the first time I saw it, I was like, what the heck is this? I have no idea. It's culture shock. That was filmed in my backyard in Kansas. You know, it was just like that's it was a documentary of Midwestern life. Johnny Bench made six appearances on Hee Haw in the 70s. And the first thing that I found was him doing the what's called the cornfield gag. I do know that, actually. Yeah, you pop, you pop up out of the cornfield and somebody uh-huh. asks you, essentially they ask you like a knock-knock joke. Mm-hmm. And then the other person says it and then somebody makes a wah, 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 sort of sound. And yeah, it's, ugh, it's, it's terrible. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. That's not qualifying even for playing himself. But then, in a 1975 episode, Johnny Bench sings a Charlie Pride song called Oklahoma Morning. He's pretty good. Wow. And I was like, what, what is happening? What, what is reality? This is, this is crazy. So, yeah, we're going we're gonna to post a clip to the YouTube uh, link of Johnny Bench singing Oklahoma Morning. More than credibly. I give him, a, like, I give him like a B plus on this wow. one. Wow, that's and impressive. I, you know, the, not really my jam uh, ordinarily but johnny bench thank you for being a pioneer partridge family mission impossible the baseball bunch. We didn't talk about that one. We didn't. Oh, we did not get it. I mean, that's we can talk about that another time. We can get to that one. Yep. But most importantly, hee haw. Let us get out of here and go to the movies because the fans are heading home. The grounds crew is on the field, and we will see you next time at the ballpark. That's our pal Ron Lewis on the stadium organ. I'm Mark Butler. And I'm Jackie McCucci. And this was Bad Hops. Any rebroadcast, retransmission, or account of this podcast without the express written consent of Bad Hops is prohibited. Unless you like us, review us, or subscribe to Bad Hops. Find us at at Bad Hops Podcast on Instagram and everywhere else. And we'll see you... At the, the movie. movie.